0: Well then, tonight for our meditation, let us return and look at these verses we read earlier from Mar uh, from the Acts of the Apostles. And we looked or we read from verses 31 of chapter four going on to chapter five and to verse 11. And that will be the focus of our meditation this evening. The title I would like to give to our meditation is, Be Careful in Your Ways. Be careful in your ways. We are working our way through the book of Acts, and here we have, uh, in the book of Acts, the early church and how it operated, how it came into being, how it was empowered by the Holy Spirit that came down on the day of Pentecost, and how the disciples and the apostles went about preaching the gospel, and how God had wonderfully blessed their efforts when they preached about Jesus and the resurrection. And last week, we looked at the major part of chapter 4, and we noticed there persecution, prayer, and power. And we noticed that the honeymoon period was over for the early church because after having initial success and enjoying some kind of popularity, those in the temple, those religious leaders were not impressed with the fact that the apostles were performing miracles and they were claiming it was done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that they had crucified, but God had raised from the dead. And Peter particularly was laying it quite clear that these people had crucified the Prince of Glory, but God had raised him to life. And therefore, the only thing that they could possibly do was ultimately to acknowledge their sin to repent, and to believe the gospel. Now, that was hard for these religious leaders. Therefore, they weren't going to go along that track, and they began to persecute the apostles. But the apostles, true to their commission, would not give up. Who are we to follow? Who must we obey? Do we obey man or God? And they made a clear choice. They were going to continue, and they were going to preach in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, because they had been commissioned and authorized by heaven itself. Well, we want to continue to look at the early church. Now, we have much to learn from the early church, and we can, in some sense, marvel at them, and we would seek to emulate them, And we might be, in a positive sense, envious of them. But they had their problems also. Nothing was perfect. It never is. And this is what we find here. Well, I have one or two lessons that I wish to highlight from these verses for our edification tonight. And we look for and long for and hope for the blessing of the Lord as we do so. First thing then, what have we got here? Well, we have unity. And that unity was followed by generosity. What do we find here? Verse 32, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Different people. Male, female. We don't know the ages, but we can only assume that they were not all middle-aged. There would be young people, middle-aged people. There would be old persons. There would be religious persons. There were persons here who were priests, but they were followers of the faith. There were people here from all different kinds of backgrounds. And yet they were with one heart, one mind, they were absolutely united in their profession of faith and in walking before the Lord Jesus Christ. One heart and of one soul. There is a lesson here for our own congregation and indeed for every co- congregation and for every denomination. Friends, the Lord Jesus Christ would have us to be united over oh, not all perfect. We don't have the same level of faith. There are differences between us, but nevertheless, by the Spirit of God, by the great grace of God that should be on us, that was on the early church, they were united, and they had a common aim and a common goal, and indeed that should be the way for the people of God. Do we not have a common Father? Do we not have a common Savior? Is it not Jesus Christ that has saved every single Christian? And if Jesus Christ has not saved us, then we are not a Christian? And do we not know the Holy Spirit? Is he not the one who has given to all his people that new life, that new birth? Of course. And is it not the Holy Spirit who sanctifies his people? He works in them. Is that not true? Are these things that not unite us? Oh, we may have differences. Our education standards may be different. Our academic abilities may be different. Our intellectual skills may be different. And indeed, there will be. But nevertheless, this is something marvelous about the Christian church. That people from all walks of life, with all different backgrounds, yet they can come together and they can be united under the glorious headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, friends, I do believe, yes, I do believe that there is some unity among us, but we're not going to be complacent. We're not going to rest upon our laurels, because no matter what stage we're at or how much we've advanced, there's always room for improvement, and we must press on. We must look upon every single Christian as our brother, as our sister. We're all part of the family of God. And what a privilege, what a blessing it is to have a family and to be in the family of God and to be adopted into his glorious, his eternal family. Therefore, let us strive. Let us not be complacent Let us not relax. And if there be any quarrels, if there be any problems between any in the congregation or indeed outside of the congregation, what are we to do? First of all, we are to go and address that person. We are to speak to that person. We are to get alongside that person. And we are to open up and we are to articulate what we perceive the problem to be. It may well be that when we would do that, the other person may give an explanation, and it could well be that our first impression was all wrong. And a very simple, quiet word with someone who you have offended or you believe that they have offended you, could be solved without anybody else knowing anything about it. That's the way to deal with personal grievances and disputes that will come among people. We are to be open to do this, and we are to be open to receive persons who will come to us. Very often, sadly, we're inclined to Take the half. We're inclined maybe to have a short fuse instead of just simply listening and responding appropriately. And if that doesn't work, as we would read in Matthew chapter 18, we are to take two or three with us to establish our case and again bring the matter before the brother or sister with the hope that the matter could be resolved. And if that doesn't work, what does Matthew chapter 18 tell us? Well, we are to tell the church. But that's way down the line. And no doubt, if we properly administer the first or the second scenario, then things will be dealt with. But we must strive We must do all that we can to live in peace and in harmony with one another, within the congregation, and indeed within the Christian church. And this is something that's worth striving for. No doubt you will have read the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. That prayer is beyond us, what he says there. We could, if we were skillful enough in exposition, we could preach from that chapter for many sermons. But there's one thing that shines out of that that prayer it is that Christ would have his people united. Well, they were united. And they showed their unity by generosity. What are we told here from that same verse? Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Now some people say that the early church practiced a primitive form of communism, whereby They didn't believe in private property. They believed it was all belonged to everyone and no one had the right to have their own property. That's not what that verse teaches and that's not what other verses would teach us in the Word of God. It simply means that people looked upon their possessions as not being their own, but that others could use it if the need was necessary. It was at the disposal of others. The people did not give away their property unless they wanted to. That was entirely voluntarily done by them. There was no compulsion whatsoever. But what certainly shines out from the early church, friends, was their generosity. And of course, that was necessary in these days. Here they were, they were. A large group of people, there was 5,000 men who were now part of the Christian church. And no doubt there would have been women and children. So it was a fairly large group. And these people were regarded as outcasts. They were a sect in many people's sight. And life could well be difficult for them. It may not be easy for them to get work. And if there was no work, there's no money. And therefore, they would rely upon charity. What did the early church do? Well, the early church recognizes there was people there in need. And people who had possessions, if they had lands or houses, they chose. And it's important to remember, they chose this. This was not something that was imposed upon them, but by the grace of God being upon them, by the Spirit being upon them, and when they saw the need of their fellow brethren, they sought to do something about it. They were generous with the things of this world, and they were happy. Some of them were happy to share, and to give, and to relieve those who did not have so much. Is this among ourselves? We might not look upon these things, but this is evidence indeed that the grace of God is upon us. We live in different times, of course. There there was no State support. There was no place that they could go to get state support. Nothing like that. Our time is different. But nevertheless, there's a lesson for us here. The early church were united and they were united in looking after the people of the church. And when they saw a need those who could meet that need did not wash their hands of the situation, but they moved accordingly in order that their brethren may well be cared for and looked after. Now you may well wonder, how did this come about? Well, I do believe that verse 33 would tell us how this came about. We are told here, with great power, give the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. And I put it to you, the scriptures here are telling us that it was through the apostolic preaching of Jesus Christ and the cross and the resurrection that the great grace of God was upon them. And I put it to you, friends, as this verse would make us understand, it was through the clear, crystal clear gospel preaching of the apostles for the great grace of God to be upon the Christian community that moved them to unity and to generosity. You didn't hear the apostle Peter or the Apostle John having a sermon on one Sabbath entitled, Examine Your Giving. You didn't hear the Apostle Peter come before them and say, well, we have, let's just say, seven or eight thousand people associated with us. And our income is not what it should be. And therefore we want to encourage you to look at your givings. And you are to respond accordingly. He didn't have that kind of sermon. He preached about Jesus Christ and the resurrection. And because of that, the people were motivated The people looked upon the Lord Jesus Christ and they saw him who was rich and who became poor for their sakes. And they recognized that through Christ they themselves were rich. And they began to look upon the spiritual blessings that Christ had lavished upon them. And then, friends, their material blessings, what they had paled into insignificance compared to what Christ had done for them. Christ had taken them from the dunghill. Christ had taken them from a lost eternity. Christ had given them new life by his life and by his death and by his resurrection. And because of this, they were motivated. Because of this, they were generous. We are not going to say for one moment that they were slack, We're not going to say that they were irresponsible in what they did, but they saw a need. And then they were prepared to meet it, considering what Jesus Christ had done. And is it not true that Jesus Christ has seen a great need? Did the Son of God not see us perishing? Did the Son of God not see us on that broad road that leads to destruction? Of course he did. And did he remain in heaven with all his glory? No. He, in some real sense, emptied himself Of himself and he came to this world in order to seek and to save that which was lost. And friends, when the gospel really grips a man or a woman, then I tell you the word of God would tell us that Christ has control over the wallet. That's what happened here. Everything is in perspective. We want to ask ourselves, every one of us, day after day, we must look at these things. God, has he blessed you with material blessings? What are you doing with your material blessings? Have you got a large bank balance? Well, very good for you. But what are you doing with it? To him, whom much has given, much is required. That can be applied in many, many ways. We have much information. We might not have much knowledge. That's another matter. But we have much information. We have far more information than the early church ever did. We have the complete canon of Scripture. We have God's complete and final revelation to us. The Old Testament saints didn't have it. The New Testament saints, they didn't have it. But we do. What are you doing with this treasure? To whom much is given, much is required. We have plenty of information, not only in the Word of God itself, but in good books and commentaries and all of these aids that can be used. What are we doing with these things? You may have a a house that's full of books. What good is it doing you? Unless you're actually reading them and assimilating them and growing in grace as a result of them. Well, the same can be said, friends, for... What God has given to us in material things. To him much is given, much is required. Now let's be clear friends, the minister is not here this evening appealing for funds. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying and what the Bible does say, that when the great grace of God is upon a congregation, You'll find unity and you'll find generosity. And you'll find that people will find ways to use what God has given to them for the furtherance of the cause of Christ and to bless the people of Christ. That's what it says. And therefore there was great unity and great generosity among them. And these people were prepared to give up everything. In order that the cause of Christ might surely flourish and prosper. And the Apostle Peter didn't appeal for funds, neither did John, neither did the others. What did they do? They simply went on preaching the gospel. And that, friends, had a wonderful effect upon the people when they came under powerful preaching of Jesus and the resurrection. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold. And we have an illustration here of one who did exactly that, Joseph, who was surnamed Barnabas, the son of consolation, a great Levite, a great encouragement to the Christian cause. Here we have his act of generosity recorded for us, and no doubt there were others also. Well, firstly then unity and generosity, but surely secondly we notice here, probably the main thing we're to notice in these verses, we notice Satan at work. Satan at work amongst the church. Verse 3, for instance, and when we we'll look at this, but Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart? Did we not notice earlier on in verse 31 where we read, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, there are occasions in the Bible when all does not mean all exclusively. It does not mean all in in the sense of everybody. And this is one occasion because it would be here that the Holy Spirit came upon and filled many of them. But there was one who was not filled with the Holy Spirit. Or we could say there's two who were not filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was Ananias and his wife Sapphira. This is what Peter says, why has Satan filled thine heart? Others were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they showed it by their unity and by their generosity. And here was someone who was filled with the spirit of Satan and his wife, and they showed it by their actions. Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? You don't lie to a force, you lie to a person. And here is a reminder that the Holy Spirit is God, He is a person. And they lied to God, as it goes on to tell them. Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. What a fearful thing. What happened here on this occasion? Well, Ananias and Sapphira, they had a plot of land. And they decided that they would sell it we don't know how much, we're not told, but let's just use figures for ourselves to help us. They sold it, or let's step back a bit, and they began to say, well, we're going to sell this piece of land, and we're going to sell it for 10,000 pounds, and we're going to give this 10,000 pounds to the apostles, that they might use it as they see appropriately in order to advance the cause of Christ, or that they might be able to relieve those who need it. And that's what happened. They agreed to sell a piece of land for a certain amount of money, and they said that this money was going to go, all of it was going to go to the cause of Christ. Well, when they sold it, perhaps the bulk of it went to the cause of Christ, but they kept some back for themselves. Now, as the text tells us quite clearly here, they didn't have to sell it. And even when they did sell it, the money was theirs. They could do as they wanted with it. But they wanted to be like Barnabas and like others. They wanted to be seen as ones who wanted to further the cause of Christ. And they wanted the applause of men. They were, in short, hypocrites. Pretending to be something they were not. They lied unto God. And a terrible judgment fell upon them. Well, here is Satan at work in the early church. We saw him working earlier on in persecution. Here he is working. Persecution was outside the church. Now he's moved inside the church He's moving among the professing people. And he's bringing scandal upon the Christian community. And as we shall see later on as we go through this book, he has another way. He has another device. And it is to bring about distraction. And we'll look at that when when we come to it. But friends, Satan doesn't change. His strategies are exactly the same. You'll find it in our own Christian life, in our own congregation, and in other congregations and denominations. Satan will bring about persecution, and where where persecution does does not work, he will then work within the church, and he will stir up moral compromise, whether it be financial things like this, or sexual things, or whatever. He works among the congregation, and we must be aware of it. Because if we're truly a, a church that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can be sure the evil one wants to bring us down. And if persecution will not do it, then he'll go again. He doesn't stop, and he'll be working among us. And he'll be bringing some moral dilemma upon us. We have to be aware of his, of his schemes and of his wiles. He does not want the preaching of the gospel. He doesn't want people to be warned from the wrath that is to come. He doesn't want people to hear about the resurrection. He does not want to hear about Jesus Christ who has come to save sinners. Why? He wants all of them to go where he is going. He knows he's going. He knows his time is short. And this wicked, malevolent spirit, he wants to bring as many of men and women with him. And he is cunning. And he works. And we must be aware of him. Because Satan is at work. We must be aware of this sin hypocrisy is a reality? Do we try to make ourselves out to be something we're not? You can delude yourself very easily. Many people do. Many people outside the church delude themselves. They think they're fit for heaven. They think that God is just like themselves. They have no real idea of the holiness and of the righteousness of God. None whatsoever. And somehow they think they're going to march into heaven, just as they are. Well, I'm sure all of us know that's not to be the case here. For us, we know that. My friends, we must be true before our God, careful in all our ways, because this sin is within us. It clings to our sinful human nature. In one real way, we're all hypocrites. These persons here were blatant. Well, friends, we must serve him without guile. We must be ones, in the nicest possible sense, simple, clear, not double tongued, not double hearted ones who confess our sins and recognize that this evil sin is within us and we must fight against it. Let us not think that we are, or we've got to make on as if we are really spiritual when we're not really spiritual. Sometimes that may be the case when we have people come round to our homes and we want to give some impression that Well, we are spiritual. We do things that we wouldn't normally do, only to please men. Let us be open. Let us be frank. God can read us. He knows us. He knew this situation. And these people wanted to deceive. And God was not going to have it. And thirdly then, we have the judgment that fell upon them. There's no real need to dwell upon this other than to say one or two comments. Notice, friends, God was making an example of them. And if you were here this morning... This incident here has connections in some sense with what we read about Achan. Achan was one who disobeyed God and thought he could hide his sin. But because of Achan, the people suffered a defeat, and God was going to deal with this person before they could march on. What was happening here? Well, what was happening was the people of God had, were just going into the promised land and God was starting a new work, if you like, with the people of God. And the people of God were to realize that God will not put up with hypocrisy. He will not put up with people who lie. He will not have that. He will not tolerate that. And he made an example of Achan. A terrible judgment fell upon him because he thought he could pull the wool over the eyes of the Lord. He could easily fool Joshua and the leaders, but not God. And God was making an example of them that the people might realize they are his people. And a new work was going to begin, and God was not going to tolerate the behavior of Achan. And exactly the same thing was being done here. Ananias and Sapphira... Here, a new work of the Lord. Here was the New Testament church. Here it was making progress in its day and generation. Wonderful things were happening. And here was this couple of hypocrites. And they were going to face the judgment of God. And notice, friends, it was a terrible, terrible judgment. Why? Why? There was no opportunity for repentance. I do believe that we could argue that for Achan there was some opportunity. Was it not intimated before that the people were to gather together and they were going to be taken by lot? Was that not intimated one day and the next day the procedure began? Was there not an opportunity then for, during this time, could not Achan have come forward and hold his hand up and said, I am guilty? I do believe there was an opportunity. He didn't take it. But there was no opportunity here for Ananias and for Sapphira. None whatsoever. Peter questioned them. Both of them fell down flat. At his feet. Now, in that time and in that circumstances, to fall at someone's feet was to pay respect to them. They didn't show respect to the church of God in life. But they were going to show respect to to the church of God in their death. Sudden judgment. No repentance whatsoever. God was making an example of them. Now we know there will be, there would have been, and there will be many people who have lied to the church since that day, and they haven't been dealt with in this manner. Why? God was making an example of them at the beginning to warn others and to warn us also that God will not tolerate this in his church. Oh he might not visit us like he did them, but he will have his day. Let us ask ourselves. They said that they were going to give everything from the sale to the Apostles. Are you a Christian tonight? Have not you said, maybe you haven't articulated it, but being a Christian, are you not married to the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he not your husband? Have you not in some real way said I will take him as my Savior and Lord. I give my life to Christ. He has given his life for me and I have given my life to him. Is that not what you have done or said? Maybe you haven't articulated, but as a Christian, is he not that one whom you are married to? How much do you keep back? How much of your love? How much of your service? How much of your time? How much have you kept back for yourself? When Christ deserves everything. It's challenging, isn't it? It's easy to look at this incident and think that it only applies to these people. It applies to us all. God will have all of us, all—not seventy-five percent, not eighty-five, not ninety-five, one hundred percent. He's to be in on our heart. He's to be the king upon the heart of our life. We are to surrender our lives to Him. Nothing else satisfies him. Who are the hypocrites then? Can any one of us lift our head up? Can the minister? Be careful. God will have all of us. Amen. And may God bless his word to us.